Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Hi, this is Mark Devine with the Unbeatable Mind Podcast. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining me today. Today I have a solo cast continuing the journey of reading the updated, revised, expanded edition of Unbeatable Mind, first published in 2012. So this is almost a 10-year anniversary update. Also, colloquially, I've been calling the pandemic edition. At any rate, um, if you've been following along, our last episode was on chapter five, which is all about self-mastery and the five mountains of development. And this chapter, chapter six, is called Living Selfless Service. With no further ado, Let's get into this. Quote, the discipline of service flows from a genuine desire to support your teammates because you love them. Mark Devine. Most people live in ego-powered drama deeply influenced by their parents, closest peers, and the societal norms projected by media and advertisers. The dramas are conditioned by limited negative thinking and popular cultural beliefs, few of which stand the test of time. Waking up to this reality and working to change the script is the choice of mastering the self, as discussed in the last chapter, while simultaneously committing to selfless service. Once a reporter heard of the achievements of an individual who had clawed his way out of abject poverty and depression to achieve great success, that individual found that success through an attitude of service. The journalist interviewed the man, asking, to what do you attribute your significant accomplishments in light of your upbringing? He responded, well, I had no choice, you see. I had to find a way up and out because my father was a horrible alcoholic and abused me and my twin brother. I knew that if I didn't choose to serve and to work for a better life, I'd become just like him. Curious about the fate of the brother, the author tracked him down, finding him destitute on the streets. To the brother, he asked the same question, and the response was, I had no choice, you see. I was doomed because my father was a horrible alcoholic who abused me and my twin brother. We didn't stand a chance. That's the power of choosing to rewrite the script from victim to servant. Create a new script. It's extremely hard to believe that choice exists when one is trapped in a deeply ingrained story. Free will is not free if you live an unexamined life. You remain trapped, and yet you think that you're acting out of freedom of choice. Autonomous living can only come by connecting to your witnessing self and overriding the ego's negative control over your life. It's time to accept that goodness is a basic human right, a gift prepackaged at birth. But the ego identifies not with that goodness, instead with the outer material world. It conjures a multitude of positionalities, opinions, judgments, and projections that trap the mind in a contracted, limited state of awareness. A single spark of awakening can ignite instantaneous transformation from ego identification. Then you begin to experience the positive, pure, and whole self that existed before ego closed its grip on your mind, as it did with the first brother in the story above. That spark will ignite a fire of urgency for growth to become more whole and truly happy 
in the way that is not attached to any outcomes, but just is. That growth is vertical growth, which I mentioned earlier is found through three primary paths, the path of the heart in service to someone or something other than oneself, the path of the mind to tame the negative ego and to connect to your higher self, and the path of selfless action. Unbeatable Mind Training combines all three paths through the disciplines of self-mastery and selfless service. That work will slowly but surely eradicate negative conditioning and allow that inner light of goodness to shine. You must make the choice to redraw your reality maps and march toward a new destination. Let's stop leaving destiny to chance and allowing others to write the scripts of our dramas. Extreme Selflessness. Navy SEAL Lieutenant Michael Murphy was posthumously awarded the Congressional Medal of Honor. His riveting story was told by teammate Marcus Luttrell in the book Lone Survivor. Lieutenant Murphy's heroism provides some context for this principle of selfless service. Murph, as he was known, performed the ultimate service from a place of love for his teammates during a failed operation. When his four-man recon team was compromised by goat herders, Murph had to quickly weigh the military rules of engagement against the threat of escalation. The decision was to kill the teenage boys or to release them and risk that they would alert the Taliban in the local village that the SEALs were observing. The success of the mission and the lives of his team hung in the balance. He tapped into his energy of extreme selflessness and let them go, against the wishes of several of his teammates. The consequences were disastrous, though. After being overrun by hundreds of Taliban, Murph and his team fought like lions to survive. The situation became grim, and he attempted time and time again to call in a support team on his radio. Unfortunately, that wouldn't work in the mountainous terrain, so he resorted to using a satellite phone. To get an uplink to the satellite, he had to expose himself to enemy fire, knowing full well he would not likely survive. According to Luttrell, there was no hesitation in Murphy's decision, no second thoughts about self-preservation. Murph just stepped into the open to call for that backup, ending his life. It's easy to second-guess his fateful decision in the comfort of our living rooms. It was Murph's selfless service to his team that led him to act out of compassion and not more violence. Murph died a hero. He led with selfless service. It's easy to see how leading with selfless service in combat situations can have consequences. Valuing others as much as ourselves, seeing their sameness while supporting their uniqueness, means that we will serve and support them even at great peril. This is trained in the military mindset, such as to never leave a teammate behind. My view is that this discipline of leading with selfless service does not come naturally to most people, but it can be trained, and it must be embodied by anyone seeking to grow into become a world-centric leader. Self-mastery and service are two sides of the same coin. If you focus only on self-mastery, it may reinforce narcissistic tendencies. On the other hand, if you attempt to serve without mastering your body, mind, and emotions and connected spirit, then it will likely be transactional and self-serving. For example, there's much posturing about service in the philanthropic and religious communities. The doing of good works in the name of service is a nice gesture. But when done with selfish or transactional motives, such as for the tax write-off or because your family expects you to go on that overseas mission, it may help your finances and make you feel good or look good on your resume, but it will not lead to the growth. It falls short of the discipline of the warrior and is not MRF-level service. Too many companies and individuals serve that way because they think it will make them look good 
or because their competitors are doing it. Another example is the individual who provides service through his or her church, but then is a self-serving jerk at home. Without mastery to come from courage and love, service will simply check the do-good, feel-good box. The selfless service that Murph modeled required awareness of one's innermost drives, the team's culture, as well as the environmental external circumstances or the organizational conditions that exist and co-arise. That discipline requires training awareness of all three of these domains, which we call the three spheres. It also demands that we open our hearts to others with compassion, generosity, and abundance. We'll look at these concepts more. Your three spheres. The day after I left active duty Navy, I recall being surprised by the acute change in my mental state and sense of self. For years, I had been part of an elite SEAL team culture within a tight system both of which had a profound influence on my thinking and attitude. The culture had positively influenced my mental toughness, sense of purpose, and confidence. My teammates had gone to hell and back with me, and I trusted them with my life. The system of the Navy was rigid and clear. The rules were set on how much I was to be paid, what I was to wear, when I was to wear it, and I was told where to be and to go and basically how to act every damn day. The rules of engagement for the culture and structure of the SEALs were clear. And if I rejected or breached them, then I would have been invited to leave. But that day, the day that I left, it all changed. Independent of the full-time Navy culture and system, I was suddenly free of any definitive boundaries and rules. I could choose what to wear, where to go, when to go there, how to act, and what to do. It was a tabula rasa, as blank as a slate can be. I was liberated and oddly intimidated. I would have to relearn how to choose and to know what I wanted and needed. And those things were still influenced by my biases or my background of obviousness, though much less so than when I had started my Zen training years earlier. Most of you reading this have had to transition from one well-defined culture and rigid organizational structure to another. It's more comfortable to do so within a profession because the difference between, say, moving from a Coopers to a Morgan Stanley are relatively minor compared to moving from the Navy SEALs to a business built on a plan scratched on the back of a napkin. Any change can challenge us. And when radical change occurs with both culture and structure, it will dramatically impact your sense of self. Shifting our perspectives more broadly, we can see clearly how these three spheres of self culture, and systems exist at all times and have a profound impact on how we see and respond to the world around us. Organizational structures such as the military, big corporations, academia, and government bureaucracies continue to dominate the employment landscape. They all share qualities of control, hierarchy, and deeply fixed structures. Rigid structures demand a careerist culture and foster an individual sense of self that aligns with that mission the values, the rituals, the artifacts, and the hierarchical mobility. Startups and some emergent integral level organizations have much looser and flatter structures, some even with no owners or employees, such as in the blockchain space. Developing perspectives on how these three spheres show up in your life is another liberating self-awareness tool. You'll develop a keen sense of how your inner self is influenced by and interacts with the cultures that you participate in. Also, 
how the structure of an organization influences your sense of self both within and outside of the cultures that you're teamed with. This three-sphere awareness will allow us to become more authentic and effective as leaders and as teammates. It also releases unnecessary stress as you can see more clearly all the ways that you're being influenced or controlled. Take a moment now and reflect on periods in your life where you went through a major change of jobs or careers or transition from an academic setting into the workforce. How did the three spheres change and impact you? Were you aware of how much the previous culture and structure impacted your sense of self while ensconced in it? Sometimes, especially when it's negative and painful, it's obvious, but other times it's more subtle, but still profound. For instance, consider your sense of self, including autonomy, confidence, esteem, positivity, competence, and alignment from the last major structure you participated in compared to the current one. How does the current structure and culture impact your sense of self? Do you feel freer and more autonomous? Is there more confidence, courage, and positivity, or is it the other way? I met philosopher Ken Wilber and studied his integral theory many years ago. He calls these three spheres the I, which is the sense of self, the we, which is the sense of culture, and the it, which is structure. After studying his work closely in my doctoral program, I could see clearly how the spheres are always present, arising simultaneously with each and impacting one another. The three are interdependent with causal effects on each other in the material world. Change any one and all spheres are impacted. Appreciating the three allows us to serve more wholly as well as to avoid threats and obstacles to our self-mastery and service. The I-sphere is the realm of your subjective self, as I mentioned. It includes your awareness, your constructed worldview, scripted beliefs, and desires. It includes your senses of right and wrong, beauty and ugliness. Your unique personality is formed in this I-sphere, as well as why and how you need to serve others. While working towards self-mastery, it's this I-sphere that registers the results of that internal work, such as more positivity, self-confidence, more generosity, self-esteem, greater vision, more clarity, and spiritual strength. Any sense of trustworthiness or authenticity that we bring into relationships is formed in this I-sphere, and this I-sphere is influenced positively or negatively by the team or the individuals in our we-sphere of the culture. And that we-sphere now is the intersubjective experience of the team or group that we're within. We call that culture in a country, an organization, or a family. Your I-sphere seeks common understanding and collective purpose with others, occasionally taking perspectives and compromising on some things. Your alignment will be challenged and boundaries around things that you won't compromise on i.e. your stand, will be tested. Respear can be the shared experience of those you serve, or it can be your work team or other groups that you identify with and belong to. Lack of alignment in the we of the American culture sphere was exposed during COVID-19, ensuing racial inequality movement and political chaos. Ethical codes of conduct, communication effectiveness, and leadership power is experienced in this we sphere. It makes sense to me that the we sphere is where most personal growth occurs as a result of the emotional challenges that arise in complex relationships. The we, in the we sphere, the I, or my sense of self, can experience separation, bias, and judgment due to negative conditioning and the disparate developmental stages and worldviews of the other participants, most of whom won't be committed to the self-mastery and self-service that you are. 
This helps us appreciate why there's so much conflict in organizations and the world at large. Most humans operate from ego, holding tightly to negative positionalities, leading to righteousness, fixed opinions, and judgmentalism, and leading to separation, which precludes selfish service. Clearly, operating within our we sphere gracefully requires a high degree of awareness. Recognizing hidden biases and developing and the developmental stage of others and effectively navigating negative reaction behavior allows the unbeatable mind leader to thrive in any culture. The leader will seek to understand the perspectives of the other teammates before dictating a solution. They'll observe the trends and opportunities and spot the minds on the battlefield. Whether dealing with a malcontent, a narcissist seeking new prey, or an opportunity hidden in plain sight, self-awareness of I and we spheres helps you respond effectively for a more positive outcome. Operating in a structuralist vacuum would be synonymous to anarchy. So restrictions imposed by family, organization, or nation states also play a part in our individual and collective sense of self. This is the third or its sphere. Rules, roles, and other behavioral aspects of an organization are designed to control and direct the energy of the participant, individuals, and teams. The it sphere co-arises in awareness with the other two and will influence their experience. Your job as a leader is to become sensitive to how the structures are impeding your team's capacity to meet its mission. The leader will always look at how things are done now and how they can be changed for more effective results, asking, how can we improve this system? or modify that rule to release more potential. The more aware you are of how systems and rules impact the I and the we, the more effective you'll be at positively influencing the experiences and outcomes. I have found that these three spheres are not readily apparent to most people until the map is pointed out and explained. The individuals are mostly inside the bottle, cannot read the label. Once recognized, it then seems obvious and as if they knew it all along. I teach to use the three-sphere model as a diagnostic tool by placing yourself at the center, then looking out at each sphere and asking what impact each is having and what is working well and not. Another approach is to place a teammate or the organization itself into the center and see how they or it fare with those same questions. This approach offers insight into the nature of the whole for a more holistic or integrated approach to problem solving. Seeing the whole helps us make informed decisions, become better leaders and teammates, and serve others selflessly. You could say the goal is to win in all three spheres by aligning and developing each for maximum potential. I mentioned that the three-sphere model allows us to serve more powerfully, but it can also get you out of troublesome spots. You may find yourself in an uncertain situation where the we and the it are unknown, perhaps not friendly. That takes awareness to navigate well. Let me use an example from my SEAL operating days to illustrate this point. I was on an operation in Malaysia and had just left a late night meeting. I found myself walking past three rugged locals in a dark alley. They stopped what they were doing to size me up. Crap, I thought, what am I doing on this route? It was late and the area had a reputation for thuggery and I had just inadvertently joined their we and it space. I knew that I needed to maintain my cool and project strength in my own eye sphere, so I turned on my SEAL mindset, breathing deeply, feeding courage, envisioning myself as unbeatable. They made a move toward me, and I sidestepped one of the thugs. Then I turned and confronted the others, stating confidently, this is a big mistake. I've got no money, and I'm, I'm not afraid to fight you all 
and I will win. I said those words while maintaining a calm mind and seeing myself handily defeating them. They gave each other a confused look and waited to see if anyone had the courage to test me. I imagined the de facto leader was calculating if it was worth the effort on the chance that I was right. And because my eye sphere was dead serious, he felt the energy of my determination ripple through his own eye sphere. He turned and walked in the opposite direction, with the others following close behind. The story is a little more interesting when analyzed with a three-sphere perspective. There are always three fights to win when you engage an enemy, or a project or a big challenge. The first is the fight to control yourself. That's the I-sphere. The second is the actual conflict with the, quote, others. That's the we-sphere. And the third is the fight to navigate and align with the system. That's the it-sphere. It played out well for me, but you can easily see how it could go south fast. A few minutes after the incident that I described above, a police officer drove down the alley and gave me a glance. That glance said to me, bad idea, bud. This is no place for you Americans. Had I not won the first and second fights, then that it sphere of the local legal system, as well as the U.S. Navy's, would have entered into the fray. Needless to say, that would have been more painful than an actual fistfight, even if I didn't instigate things. The key is that I won in all three spheres. I won in my mind, I won that cultural clash, and I won against the system by not landing in a black hole of a Malaysian jail cell or a Navy brig. When you set yourself up to win in all three spheres, you come out on top every time. Let me try another story. You meet a girl through an online dating site and agree to meet her at a bar. Both of you are nervous, but also excited about the prospects or the newness of the situation. And if you're a woman listening to this, just insert the opposite sex here. This interaction was going fine, meaning the we sphere, co-creation of mutual understanding is occurring until suddenly a beefy individual arrives and starts giving a ration of shit. You deduce that with rapidly shifting opportunities and threats are occurring, that it turns out that he's the boyfriend she hasn't broken up with yet. Suddenly that we sphere has a new player. And the norms shared between him and his soon-to-be ex begin to overrun the experience. This causes your internal radar to ratchet up a, a whole threat level. The guy slaps your date, which causes you to react and jump into a full-on brawl. The cops show up, and the next thing you know, you're in the back of a patrol car. The law, or the it sphere, caught you in its jaws, and now you're the bad guy. You're not so excited about the new relationship any longer, wondering how the heck you got into this mess, how quickly things can change. But what if you had progressed into the evening by ensuring a win in all three spheres? For example, what if your internal awareness had led you to come right out and ask your date if she was still seeing anyone else? She may or may not have been honest about her not-quite-ex-boyfriend, but perhaps her answer would have prompted you to say no. Or perhaps you would have decided to meet somewhere where she'd be unlikely to run into him. And let's say you were in the restaurant and your radar was up and running. It's likely your awareness would pick up a guy betraying agitation and checking out your date a little too closely. You could catch him before he headed in your direction. With your external awareness fully operational, a range of options would have been available that could have resulted in going home rather than to the police station. You could have pointed him out to her and asked her to go talk to him, avoiding the confrontation, or at least getting you out of the middle of it. And you could have suggested leaving immediately for another spot, or you could have chosen to end things right then and there. Serving from wholeness. 
Let's review how to win in all three spheres so you can serve more wholly and powerfully. As mentioned earlier, the first win is in your mind, which often questions your skill, power, and capability. Second guessing and negative self-talk erode your potential. So we must learn to win in the mind first to develop self-esteem, courage, and a rock-solid positive attitude. Then when you turn towards service, you'll be doing so from an integrated perspective with your heart and mind merged into your actions. The second win occurs amongst the tricky entanglement of a family and team relationships. This is where you'll employ empathy, compassion, and perspective taking to come to shared understanding and deep care as opposed to separation and more suffering. Practicing active listening and mindfulness are vital and extremely helpful to win in this we sphere. A culture centered and engaged with these skills will facilitate rapid growth amongst the team members. I write about developing these types of elite level teams in my book, Staring Down the Wolf. Then there's that third win, which may be as easy as knowing the rules and boundaries and aligning with them. Or if you're the organizational leader, facilitating change to the system to unlock more potential and the positive energy within your team. A loss in the third sphere will spoil the first two wins. Winning the three spheres requires that we check our egos at the door and cultivate three attitudes of selfless service, compassion, abundance, and generosity. Let's take a look at those in more detail. Compassion. Compassion comes from deep awareness of the suffering as a basic human condition. Selfless service is the compassionate desire to help alleviate suffering. Compassion must also be accompanied by self-respect and self-love, which allows one to feel the suffering of others without denial, anger, shame, or guilt. You see yourself in others, and the suffering of others is therefore your suffering. When we're interconnected at a spiritual level, we are one. Compassion can be cultivated with acceptance and forgiveness, most importantly starting with oneself. When you let go of attachments to failure, undesirable outcomes, identification mistakes, and childhood trauma, you leave regret behind. You can then turn your eyes toward others in service with great respect and compassion. In many cultures, compassion is viewed as weakness in men. Warrior and spiritual traditions traditions treat compassion as a strength that extends even to one's enemy, as Lieutenant Murphy displayed in Afghanistan. True warriors are the last to choose the fight, but will be ready to pick up the weapon when duty calls. Abundance. An abundance attitude requires a positive view of your future, along with a willingness to share in it. Abundance means that there's plenty to go around with co-creation, as opposed to the scarcity that accompanies exploitation. Seemingly inconsequential actions can betray the absence of an abundance mentality. For instance, I once almost lost a finger at a barbecue by someone who had his mind transfixed on the same juicy T-bone steak that I was about to fork from the grill. The knife pierced the air and embedded between my middle and ring finger, as the owner exclaimed, mine. That behavior belied an untrained, greedy personality saturated with scarcity. Doomsday preppers lack abundance because they view the world as always on the edge, careening toward collapse. They're going to make sure that they have enough beans and bullets hoarded to be on top of the food chain when it does. Being prepared for a crisis is a laudable goal, but prepping for collapse because you expect it to happen is a negative and fearful attitude. Unbeatable mind thinking looks at rapid change, and instead of thinking, the world's coming to an end, you can think, cool, it's going to be an exciting future. How can I better prepare for the abundant opportunities that are coming? 
with an abundance mindset, you see that there's more out there for everyone, including yourself. Seeing the world in this light makes a service orientation simple because you're no longer cornered by the perception that you must grab what's yours, seize resources before others get to them. This mentality is a powerful change agent for growth. If you're concerned about the future of the planet and its dwindling resources, or have trouble being optimistic about it, I recommend a, a couple works to read. Peter Diamandis' Abundance and Lawrence Siegel's Fewer, Richer, Greener are both excellent. They paint a well-researched view of a future based on what's happening with paradigm-shifting breakthroughs in technology and consciousness that, I personally believe, will transform the earth into a Garden of Eden once again. We can and will solve intractable environmental and social challenges by evolving consciousness and reconnecting to each other and to the earth. Seems simple when we put it like that, but simple is not easy. Generosity. Generosity is a key attitude of selfless service brought forth by the kindly offering of your time, energy, and attention with no expectation of a return. The discipline requires that we share more of ourselves and our stuff with others. The golden rule states that you will reap what you sow in a positive sense, bringing a generous attitude from others right back to you. This attitude is related to abundance, but focuses on relationships instead of things. Being in relationship with others when acting from ego is a transactional zero-sum game. But when, the, when you act with Kokoro energy, that's merging the heart and mind in your actions, generosity of time, unique talent, support, and love, you will see a river of positive energy flow to and from you. The river will never run dry because it's replenished by the energy of those you serve and the universe itself. Generosity is not a tactic. It must flow from your heart with a genuine desire for the well-being of others. You want them to succeed, to have what you have, and to experience abundance and joy. You don't seek to gain at the expense of others. One of my favorite amorphisms or sutras from Patanjali's Yoga Sutras, numbered 1.33, says, Be friendly toward the happy, compassionate toward the unhappy, appreciate the virtuous, and Deal with the wicked. I love that. Generosity can be developed through awareness of your not-so-generous impulses, the ones built on scarcity and neediness, and then acting in the opposite manner. As you do this, you will deepen self-awareness and rewire conditioned negative responses into generous actions. Consider the following generous actions. Tipping 20% or more every time. Smiling at all who you encounter, including a janitor. Be the last to eat as opposed to knifing the biggest steak off the grill. Let the other person have the last hot Christmas gift at Target. Helping others without being asked. Being there for your family or teammates, whether they ask for help or not. As mentioned, the golden rule encourages us to habituate generosity. A version of it exists in every spiritual tradition. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you is the Christian version. It's not enacted with an expectation of a return on your investment, but you'll usually find a positive ROI anyways. Although it may come back at a later time or from another source or in a different manner than that in which it was given, it will come back to you in greater measure. On the other hand, if you're a stingy hoarder with your money, time, and energy, 
you may end up like Ebenezer Scrooge. Your energy will burn out as you become more greedy and inflexible. Cultivating these disciplines of service allow us to fulfill our calling with 20 times or 20x power. Together, they form the foundation for a powerful stand where you know what you stand for and, and that you'll stand your ground. Living a stand with daily attention is uncommon, and it paves the way for a deeply fulfilling life. In the next chapter, we're going to look at how to practice excellence through everyday actions grounded in deep awareness and aligned with universal truths and clear of negative emotional shadows and bias. Till then, thanks for listening, folks. I appreciate your support, the Unbeatable Mind podcast. And uh, let's stay focused and act with selfless service. Till next time, divine out.